Here they come now. Steady now as they wait up on the line. As we wait for the 41st episode of Illiterate, we're about to go. The flag is waved. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie this week, Ford vs. Ferrari. Oh, I love this movie. I just got to say, I already saw it twice. It's insane. I almost saw it a third time. It's phenomenal. I loved it. Directed by James Mangold. It's about Le Mans 1966. And just as a huge preface for everyone, I knew nothing about racing whatsoever upon reading the book Go Like Hell. So you're is, not alone out there. Yeah, which is written by A.J. Bame. Came out in 2009. Movie took a while to make, but it's out now. This will not be a deep dive into racing. It will be a good starting point. And it's mostly about the people involved, hence why the movie is called Ford versus Ferrari. But there's a ton of other players involved. This is the golden age of racing. This is not just a gearhead film. I mean, I think your gearheads out there are going to be perfectly pleased. Uh, I, you know, the, the inner gearhead in me, the child in me loved it. But this movie really comes down to the story is about people uh, and the dynamics and, and what it takes to get a project going and what it means to have the right people in the right places mm -hmm. to achieve that that goal, whatever it might be. And it's something I can I can really relate to. Taylor, I know you can. So, And anybody who's ever worked on a, on a collaborative team out there, this is, I recommend it. This is great to see the value in each other. Yeah. Before we get involved in the story, just I, I didn't know what this race was. And if you're going to talk about races, this is the Super Bowl of races. It's the Le Mans. It's in France. And it was founded in 1923, so very long ago. There are only a couple rules that you really have to know. Two men to each car, so they alternate however they want on the race. And I didn't realize this. It was, it's a 24-hour race. Uh, it's a marathon. It's whoever does the most laps in 24 hours. That means like half of it or more is in at that night. <laughs> <laughs> they start at 4 p.m. and they end at 4 p.m. Yeah. Uh, this is my favorite thing for people who don't know anything about this. It's not a racetrack at all. It is, it is country roads. Mm -hmm. This was designed by this auto club who wanted to prove all facets of a car because at this point they even had primitive electrical systems. So they're like, if we're going to race at night, you've got to have headlights that work. <laughs> and that was a strong oh, really? consideration. <laughs> they wanted to show it all. If we're going to send them out there. How are they going to see? Huh. <laughs> oh, that's a great... <laughs> yeah, exactly. How, how, how many, got, how it was many a guys technical, are just out yeah. there in the dark? <laughs> it was a technical feat in the, in the 20s to have that. And what's interesting, like you said, it, it was on city roads, and they just built the track. It's a little over eight miles. And this F1 racing, which is what I thought this was, or most people understand, those races yeah, are... Yeah, I think are most a, people probably assume it's a formula style One race. or whatever it is. Those races are a maximum of two hours. But this one is 24 hours Yeah, like even a NASCAR long. race is like four. You uh -huh. know, like this, you know, the 24 is ridiculous. And that that that's testing. Uh, what I love about this is it's testing both the human element of it and the mechanical element of mm -hmm. it. It's, it's got to be able to perform on all elements for 24 hours. It mm -hmm. can't break down. It, you know, I, yeah. It's so fascinating. And the very same thing with the driver. And it's interesting that they only get two. But I also think it's interesting that they can switch as as whenever you know, they whenever need they to want. how they do it. Yeah, it's all up to them. It's just however many however many laps, however many miles you can do without your car breaking down. Unfortunately, this whole race and industry is at this point plagued with death and craziness involved in the crashes. Uh, the biggest one that happened that cemented like taking it seriously was in 1955. And the big thing that I didn't realize, like, it affected the spectators. So it wasn't just like the guy crashed oh, really? off on the thing. It was between 70 and 96 people that died. Oh, my God. From this crash that happened. But this happened within the first two hours of the race. So the quote from the book is, the Le Mans race is a four-hour sprint followed by a 20-hour death watch. Oh, gosh. And they kept going for 22 hours after this. Oh, my God. The average speed of the cars on this race is 107 miles per hour. So imagine going about 107 miles per hour for 24 hours. Straight. Straight. That's the, I mean, some of the turns, they have to slow all the way down to 35 miles an hour. 
And then on the straightaways, they go 190. Yeah, they could get over 200. <laughs> it's bananas. And and it takes it takes probably something like two or three and a half minutes or, or so to get around to make one lap of this mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and I recommend looking at pictures of it, and especially during the time period, if you could place yourself when these mm-hmm. guys were doing it. It's all country roads. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild. And you're and yeah. through the woods at night. Mm-hmm. You know, the, a technological engineering feat just blasting down the highway, <laughs> racing yeah. against however many others. Yeah, that's the the background for what this race is and why it's important. And then it got used mostly for these car companies to show, hey, we've got what it takes. This creates millions in sales if you can prove that you're the car Absolutely. That, that can do it's this. about victory. If you can be associated with winning, with with performance, with precision, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. If people are seeing you winning at Le Mans, that's the, the highest of motorsport craft. Mm-hmm. One of the traditions that came about with this race that is in the movie that ends up being very cinematic from what I saw in the trailer that the director said was a great thing that they used, but got changed is the standing start. So like I said, they have to have headlights. There has to be two people driving. There has to be trunk space in the car. And the start of the race- Yeah, they make this a point in the film. Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead, is sorry. the cars are on the left side of the track and the riders or the, the pilots are on the right side. And then the time goes off, it's four o'clock, the flag waves, and you have to run to your car <laughs> and get in and go. The run across to your car was very, very dangerous because it's it's so important in, like I said, in the first couple laps, in the first couple hours mm-hmm. to be it because mm-hmm. then it's just you slowly build up accruing mileage. So drivers wouldn't even put their seatbelts on or do any – they would put their seatbelts on after the first thing at the straightaway because then they could hold the steering wheel with their knees. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, my gosh. What happened was there was this Belgian – uh, driver, this is after the Ford versus Ferrari stuff happens in uh, 68, and he wasn't able to close his door correctly because of that, and then got in a crash and was in a coma for two weeks. It ended his driving career, and oh, then man. unfortunately, he committed suicide that year. So his partner driver protested this rule. He's like, this is a stupid thing that has nothing to do with us racing. It's just a silly gimmick that was created in the 20s. And so I'll post a link to a clip. It's this guy, uh, Jackie Ick, who was his Belgian partner, who then yeah. got a new partner for the 69 race. Yeah. Everybody else ran, and he walked to his car casually. <laughs> and I'll post it. Like I said, I'll post a link to the YouTube video. But he's walked across, and then he ended up- A w- new strategy. <laughs> well, he ended Taking up- Taking a stroll. Yeah. <laughs> he ended up winning that race, because he was like, I'm protesting the fact that this is such a stupid rule. And he walked to his car. He's like, this doesn't really matter. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the the running to your car. Its presence in the film, I, the, it seemed so strangely symbolic. And especially what I was saying earlier about the man and machine wearing mm-hmm. down element, the test. Because they make it such a kind of a point uh, a couple times, even before they do the the moment of it. So I'm like, oh, interesting. They run across to mm-hmm. their cars and enter. So it, it tapped right back into the, the man part of it, mm-hmm. the machine part of it. And and it it, I like so even primal. how you called them pilots, which mm-hmm. I think is a more far more appropriate term if we could think about it like that. I think we, we all have some respect for what actual you know airline yeah. pilots, air, airplane pilots. Mm-hmm. I think race car drivers deserved a bit more credit, and probably <laughs> that race car drivers might be a little bit yeah. less than what they are actually doing. So I learned this from the book, and the reason I brought that up, we're going into the two titans of industry in this world, Ferrari and Ford. Uh, Ferrari, they had such more reverence for the actual racing. He was a pilot. And the reason I called it pilot is because in Italian, it's pilota Mm. because they called them pilots. A driver in Italian is a chauffeur. It's not an actual right, right, right. So and that's that. I, that's you know, the culture. Of I that. get that connotation <laughs> even now. When I go, I hear, I see, I hear race car driver. Like what? Oh, yeah. Like what are we? Sixteen? <laughs> like, like no. It's like I, I, I pilot a you know a ridiculous machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, that's how I like to think about it. And that's where Ferrari started out in. We all know his name from the fancy car with the horse logo. He was a race car driver. I'll use the terms interchangeably. Uh, Go fend me. Go fend me. <laughs> and your sensibilities. Oh. Too bad. Uh, <laughs> around this time, so he was pretty old. He was 58 years old going into the 60s. 
and his son was 24 years old. His son has muscular dystrophy oh. and is eating away at his muscles. His son was going to take over everything. This is the legacy of these kind of uh, racing worlds, his father-son dynamics and the family business kind of thing. Oh, how interesting. Um, I didn't know this. Yeah. He's from this small town called Modena, which is in Italy. Also the home of Maserati, Ducati, and Lamborghini a few years after. Casual. This happens. Yeah. Italian <laughs> racing. It happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he ended up only producing a few cars a week versus Ford, which we'll see is this massive giant company. It was the Titan. second second largest company in the world in 1960. God. Ferrari did not attend races after he was done racing. After he had his son in 1931, he said, I'll never race again. So he watched oh, wow. him from TV. Oh, wow. He, so that is something that I believe is in the movie that is not true to real life. Oh, yes. They definitely have Enzo present for <laughs> Le Mans. He never showed up to one. Oh, wow. Yeah. How fascinating. He was just the the creator of the cars. He was not involved in the It's an example of one of those creative liberties where you don't even, you wouldn't even think, oh, you know, you're just, of mm -hmm. course he's there. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, he was just so into the craft. He drove a Fiat to and from his factory. Huh. He didn't drive one of his cars. Uh, his son eventually dies, and he had a notebook uh, because he's such a mechanical person. He was, mm -hmm. like, tracking all his son's vitals and oh, charts man. and graphs and everything. And in that notebook, he had written the matches lost on the day that his son died in the late 50s. Uh, yeah, before this. So six months after his son's death, he creates this seven-man team that they start pushing again because he was the first – Ferrari was the first car to win post-World War II. Because like we said, it started in the 20s, then World War II happened, they shut it down. But then mm -hmm. right after World War II, came back up again. So he was on the on the train of this, but he, he kind of had a new lease after his son's death. And that's where he gets a lot of guff because a lot of people think he was too hard-nosed. Because of those seven people, one would retire in a few days, and mm. the other six would end up dead in crashes in these races over the years. This is a period of time that is really, really dark for, for this Racing is never more dangerous mm -hmm. than during this period. It, it was, it's, you know, commonly accepted, basically, that you, it's one of the most absurd and dangerous professions, and there wasn't really a crazy emphasis on safety until really, and it takes, it takes something happening, usually, yeah. uh, and that's just the, the tragedy of it. Yeah. As Ford comes into the picture, he has almost a different, the opposite starting point from Ferrari because his grandfather is the Henry Ford. And then his father is Edsel Ford, who died at age 49 because he was trying to modernize Ford and his dad, Henry Ford, wasn't letting him do so mm. in the wake of World War II. Henry Ford II, which they call the deuce, though not to his <laughs> name, <laughs> uh, he said they killed him. Like he was saying, like, the company killed my dad. Mm. So now he's 28 years old. His dad has died. He could take over the company or just have all that money lead a life of luxury. He's this doughy, pudgy 28-year-old. Right. He decides, I'm going to take over the company and make it what my father wanted it to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The opposite of Ferrari, who is like, my son, who was supposed to take this over, is now dead. How interesting that they mirror each other in mm -hmm. such a way. I mean, it's like poetry. They're they're drawn to each other uh, in the ether. It seems, mm -hmm. you know, and to to mirror in mm -hmm. these odd convex, concave ways. Yeah, How and odd. on two separate continents because Ford is not yet interested in battling Ferrari. He's going after Chevy. So Chevy comes out with the Bel Air. They come out with the Crestliner. Then they do the Corvette, and then he does the Thunderbird. Then they create the Mustang, and that's where it all goes off crazy. Although with all of this battle, GM has sixty two percent of the market in nineteen sixty two. So there was this thing called the safety resolution, which was like they cannot market their cars for racing and they cannot sh talk about horsepower or any of that stuff mm. in their advertisement. But it was seemed like, a, from what I could understand in the book, like a voluntary thing. Ford was the first company to Weird leave. Rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, because people would just be insane about driving them because they loved, you know, it was, a new, it was like, oh, everybody can have a car. But they left this safety yeah, resolution. Timmy. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So now we go into 1963. Ford, because they lost, they, they left this safety resolution, are involved in the Daytona 500. Their engines are in other cars. That was the other thing. Ford is not just the cars. Like I said, they're the second largest company in the world. So they're making 
engines for planes and things like that. Yeah, they go out of their way in the film. There becomes, you know, there's a meeting between uh, the Deuce and Carol Shelby, and Carol Shelby kind of accuses, you know, is kind of saying, well, you can't win a race by committee. You know, uh, yeah. you know, paper ha- passes through 40 people's hands before it ever gets to you. That's not how we do this. And they make a point to round that out with Henry Ford coming back about exactly what he's trying to reposition and rethink the company. What is the Ford Motor Company? It's not just, you know, the Ford Taurus or whatever, you know, they were making at the time. (laughs) He says that, you know, three out of every five B-24 bombers rolled off of, he points out the window, that line down there at the beautiful, not so beautiful Ford Motor Company Mm -hmm. in in Michigan. And it was right there through that line, you get get a beautiful context of exactly what the Ford Motor Company means to the country even Mm -hmm. for every Body. That's how integral they were to yeah. the World War II war effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he uses that by, you know, by saying, we know how to do more than just push paper mm-hmm. and make little boxy, ugly cars. <laughs> we yeah. can do we are an whatever we decide we want to do. This author, A.J. Bame, I looked up and he wrote another book called The Arsenal of Democracy, and it is about the Ford Motor Company and their efforts in World War II. Mm, that's fascinating. And that is also in development for a film. Who knows if that will be made? But if I'll post a link if you're interested in that concept of their history of how the U.S. called on them to be like, hey, we need help to win this war. Yeah, that sounds like a movie to me. Uh, <laughs> Starring all the same people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Different roles. Yeah. yeah, Ford was producing 1,200 cars a day and Ferrari was producing 600 cars a year. God. Troubles that's, are that's, coming. Yeah. That's mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like we said, as far as the, the more racing sensibilities of Europe, trouble is coming about in Ferrari land because 25% of drivers died within a year. Gosh. One in four. If you were a that's racer scary, for a year, man. yeah, and there were four of you, one of you was going to be dead on the track. And there's this guy like who will- That's like being involved in a weird war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like looking around at your buddies where you know like it could be any time, could be me, could be- But all right, let's go. Get in. Right. It's like imagine if one in four NFL players yeah. died by the end of the season. Like a whole team is just gone. Yeah. Well, that's- And, and it's just like, well, that's part of the sport. It's like, is it is part it? of the sport? <laughs> this is weird. Is it? <laughs> that a quarter of the people who are in it are just dead? So this is causing a lot of problems. Oh, Eight people walk out on Ferrari because they see him as the Grim Reaper. They're like, these are all your cars. Even though they're all winning these races, it's like all your the people The death traps. Yeah. The flaming death traps <laughs> yeah. screaming down the road. Yeah. So word gets around that Ferrari is going for sale. Ford knows about this. He sends some other people to go deal with it. It looks like it's going well. And then after months, the deal goes south because Ferrari still wants to be in control of racing. And people think this was just a big bait and switch to keep them confused or whatever. Like he knew the whole time they had been getting money from Fiat subsidizing stuff that Fiat hadn't owned. They condensed this down in the mm -hmm. film. It's down to where, you know, uh, the guy who has, who convinces Henry Ford, we're going to get into racing. He, well, he's like, okay, we're going to get into racing. So you're going to go over to, to meet uh, Enzo Ferrari. So you go, you know, with the Ford executive team without Mm -hmm. the deuce to the Ferrari factory, you get to see, where they do all of their business and how small their operation is, all that kind of stuff. And this guy is Lee Iacocca. He doesn't actually in real life go to Italy. They have another guy doing it. He is the head of sales and marketing. And then the deuce calls him to be vice president and GM just to get a flavor of who he is. Somebody had said on his salesmanship about when he was talking about a car, they said, I didn't know whether to drive it home or to make love to it. (laughs) Dang, dang. So he's a smooth, smooth talker. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, so they condense this down to where he goes with the Ford executive team to kind of strike this deal. And they, 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 I, I don't mean to glaze over it, mm-hmm. but, you know, compared to the truth of it, we're using it's months apart and, you know, yeah. a lot of this deliberation back and forth, they make it sound like it was all in an afternoon. <laughs> right. uh, where it, but Ferrari uh, <laughs> knew the whole time and it was, it was much more drawn out. And so then the question becomes why is Ford so enamored by this? Most people would say it's, oh, because he didn't get the sale or whatever. But a huge part of it also is, like we said, the Le Mans is the proving ground. Ford is now seeing people are wanting faster cars. We've left the safety policies behind. We can use this now. 
this is what mm-hmm. the consumer wants. Mm-hmm. People want to see America on They do. Top. Lee Iacocca, the character, does a good breakdown of, of where we are culturally mm-hmm. in the mid, you know, in the early mid-60s. He's saying that, you know, the greatest generation went and fought the war and then they came home and had babies. And now those babies mm-hmm. are the first, you know, teenage generation with money in their pockets and they're interested in style. They got James Bond movies, you mm-hmm. know, like that is what they're into. They want cars like this. He throws up pictures yeah. of Ferrari when in Le Mans. Yeah. So then this Iacocca guy makes a special division to say, we're going to have a car and in one year and we're going to win the Le Mans in 64. The last time. And just to be yeah. a little bit clear, because I don't know if, we're, mm-hmm. if it, because in, because Le Mans is a weird thing and how yeah, this yeah. race. We're talking about a race where companies will spend millions and millions and millions of dollars in research and development to develop one vehicle for basically one race. They'll take it mm-hmm. other places after the fact, but they design it for this this right. is, at the end of the day, the the GT40 costs over uh, ten million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is such an odd event in racing history. I just wanted mm-hmm. to make that a little bit clear. Yeah, and the Ameri- like I said, the Americans have not gotten into this at all. The last time an American car won in Europe was in 1921, which is even before the Le Mans existed <laughs> as a race. So they have not been in it at all. Although. The allegiances between countries are not entirely blocked off. There's this guy, Phil Hill, who was from Santa Monica, and he is from the USA, obviously, and he was on Ferrari's team, and he won the Le Mans in 58 Mm. in a Ferrari car. Mm. Um, He comes back later in the picture as well. But Iacocca is like, we're going to do this. We're going to have it. No problem, Deuce. We got you. There are these other two characters which become now we're finally getting into the crux of the film. This is yes, this is about where the purview of the film starts. The actual boots on the ground people. So there's this guy, Carol Shelby, who has been using Ford engines and designing his own cars, specifically the Cobra. If you're into cars, you might know that. And he also did a version of the Mustang. And there's this other guy that works with him. Ken Miles. Ken Miles. And he's four years older than Shelby. And he just he worked on his own shopping. The Cali. British he's, British lad, and he's a British lad. He's not driving yet, racing for Ford or whatever. He got hired as a test driver for Shelby's stuff. Uh, and Evan had spoken to me before and said they don't really go too much into these guys in the movie. So I wanted to give a little bit about as far as like how they came to be when they, when it sets up, they're just they're going and they're they're kind of partners and Shelby's doing all he's got his fingers in all these types of pies and he's trying to stay afloat and he kind of right. he kind of is starting to feel a little bit like a con man but he's got his driver and he's got this one car that he's been working on so we catch up with him like that. Mm-hmm. But the, it's just kind of uh, thrown out there immediately. It's just like, oh, this is this is just kind of Shelby's mechanic slash driver <laughs> and drives when he can when they can do right. a race when oh, they're friends. Um, yeah. So I was a little bit unclear as to what was their coming together and mm-hmm. and, and how did that uh, bond form? Because, you know, when Ford shows up with a blank check and says, mm-hmm. we want you to design a race car, you next you turn to the person you need for that job. So why did he turn to mm-hmm. this guy? Why was this guy already there? How did this guy, how, yeah. how does he exist? Yeah. I mean, everything starts before. They were wanting to be racers. Shelby went to school for aviation. He was a flight instructor in World War II. He did not actually fly abroad. He didn't leave the U.S. After the war, he worked on oil rigs. He had a chicken farm, which then he got known for uh, wearing overalls, these chicken bib overalls. (laughs) And then he wore it through all the races, and that's most of his personality. He was a smooth talker as well. So then Miles is from England, and he was always into auto racing. He was in the D-Day operation in that's the, in the cool. tank department. Whoa, that's amazing. Um, he was the one of the first units to pass through the death camp at Bergen-Belsen. He faced off with a German officer what? that was coming around a corner, and they both had their guns out, like a like a movie moment. Oh, my god! So he didn't really ever talk about the war, according to his son, but he w- always wore this filthy army jacket for most of his life and in most of the races and that kind of thing, but he never really talked. But it was like oh, wow. his memento. That's kind of – he was also much more chill – more, you know, he was like the nicest guy, according to most people. Yeah. He had nicknames about how he was just such a such a cool dude on the racetrack. Yeah, they um, make they make very oh, you know, very mm-hmm. light of, of you know versions to that he had he had you know in the military service. Shelby has a line. His wife is looking at a photograph at one point, but they don't really say much about his mm-hmm. his military experience. Just to say he's a he's a credible guy. He's a stand up guy. Yeah. Is really, all it's there for. Yeah. Then he moves to Hollywood. Los Angeles starts his own tuning shop on Vineland Avenue. Got Ooh, shut down because out. of 
it shot out, got taken down because of taxes, the IRS shut it down. We've all some, been there. <laughs> some such <laughs> thing. And then this is how he gets hired on by Shelby as a test driver. And this has happened just within a few years. So they haven't been this, friends for What you years. said is much of a, a lot of the kind of the motions through the, the second act is, is following. And I would say a lot of the film really is focusing on Kim Miles, this guy in this very strange position. He's kind of floating around he's trying to make things work he's not getting the shot mm -hmm. um that's that's kind of a lot of this loneliness that, yeah. that you feel i think throughout the film is really a, a, a attributed to this ken miles character which i'm really taken with I, yeah. I didn't really know much about this guy until this year he's very quiet very on his own terms he has raced all his life but has not gotten into the scene most everybody else is very intertwined so for example shelby won Le Mans in 1959 though he was driving an Aston Martin for the British team. Like we were saying, the lines are blurred. Yeah. It's not so Ferrari strange. offered Shelby a contract to race for him, and he declined it. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's all interwoven. Look at that. And then also around this time, Phil Hill decides to leave Ferrari because he said he wasn't willing to die for him. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> There's this other guy, Surtees, who's this British guy who was a motorcycle racer and he was going to test Ferrari's next prototype. So that's kind of a flip that happens Ooh. with their organization getting ready for, like we said, the 64 Le Mans. This is the first time Ford's gotcha. getting into it. Gotcha. Though Shelby is sort of working for Ford, but he they haven't yet tasked him mm -hmm. with, hey, can you help us with this? And the GT40 is probably not totally emerged at this time mm -hmm. yet. Yeah, now it's coming in at the very beginning of 64. And I've heard all these terms and maybe – other our listeners have ha have as well, but I didn't know how connected all these names were and whatnot. So the first test pilot for this Ford GT40 is this New Zealander guy who has a limp on his left leg, and his name is McLaren. Oh. And now that's a car company oh, that does the you know McLaren. These, yeah, it's that's the guy. Whoa, he's this young dude <laughs> tested the GT40. He's the first guy. Yeah. And it's called the GT40 because 40 was 40 inches high. They wanted it to be lower than the kitchen counter. <laughs> so it was such that was weird for the time how low to the ground this car yeah. was. And it, it, the big thing that they were having problems with at this point was the brakes because it needs to decelerate from 200 miles an hour to 35 miles an hour. And consistently do that every three minutes for 24 hours. Yeah, a ridiculous technical feat. Things um, break down, and they break down faster than you ever imagined they did. Just the, 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 the force and power behind this thing is unimaginable. Yeah. So they signed, this is when they signed Phil Hill on board to do the, the racing and the testing. They've gotten the car done. The Deuce says his grandfather would have hated it. Edsel would have loved it, his dad. Because mm -hmm. remember, his dad was trying to innovate and trying to do mm -hmm. more wacky mm -hmm. stuff. The tests go horribly. Le Mans is on a public road, but they turn it into a circuit, cordon it off. To, they, you know, in the, in the weeks leading up to it, right. they're like, people can't drive here. They could normally, but not, not right anymore. Not right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Phil crashes the GT on the second test run. Oh, gosh. Trashed. The next day, they crash the only other car they made. Because like Evan was said, they, they're spending millions of dollars just for a couple cars. So they crash both of them. <laughs> and now they don't have- they had two. <laughs> How many do we have now? None. Because the brakes, <laughs> still, they can't get it together. Although, and this is an interesting connection to our uh, another episode that we have- uh, this same weekend, they're unveiling the Mustang at the World's Fair in New York at the brand new Shea Stadium, which Robert Moses was doing Good at the Lord. time. What? What? <laughs> which, if you listen to our episode on Motherless Brooklyn, we talk about how he was the giant orchestrator of all of New York stuff. Oh my gosh. It's all connected. So and everything's I, based on a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so Iacocca is getting in with that, duped the Times and Newsweek, saying that they had exclusive stories. His face is on both for that week. Oh, my god! In 1964. And days later at the Indy 500, there's horrible crashes that happen. Of course, the cars say powered by Ford on the side. Oh. So it's all this up and down of like they're doing terrible at the at Le Mans testing. They do really well because they introduced the Mustang. Yeah. And then they do terrible again on their home turf Ooh. with the Indy 500. It was a pretty rough start. <laughs> God. So I now, didn't realize it was that rough. Yeah. So now Ford is like, well, we're going to, we got to rework this thing because we said we were going to have it by 64. Mm -hmm. And just for some cultural context, they're like, well, how can they do this? Like, what is this blind optimism? Yeah. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happened this year. Kennedy got assassinated. The civil rights bill was passed, the first one. Russia puts the first woman into space 
Cassius Clay oh, knocks Lord. out Sonny Liston and MLK oh said, I have a dream. Holy. You know? So the it's culture like, is a percolating <laughs> yeah. and a bubbling and a boiling, my yeah. ladies and gentlemen. This year is fraught <laughs> with the zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah. Shelby, who we remember hasn't quite yet gotten in, is bringing in his Cobras separately. Phil Hill's car stalled on the first thing where Ford is like, well, we reworked it. Phil, you're going to race for us. Here we go. Let's go. He lost 22 <laughs> minutes. He's in 44th place uh, in this race. Two of the Fords go down. Like I said, they, they've, they're manufacturing multiple cars, so they have multiple people in the race. It's not just Phil. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But two of the Fords go down by 1 a.m. 20 of the 55 cars are done by that time as well. Oh so it's God. like this is the, it's this is the rate. It's a graveyard. It happens. Ferrari's in places one through three. Number four is a Cobra, but five is Phil Hill. Who has hey. come back, and his partner is McLaren. Oh, so they're racing together. Look at that. Yeah, uh, at five a.m., Phil Hill goes down. Uh. <laughs> still, so many hours to go, but Shelby stays in fourth and wins fourth. So now Iacocca is like the guy that I assigned for this special division. This guy Wire, you're done. Shelby, you're help in, us. buddy. <laughs> help us. <laughs> You're in the game. So this is how. Now, Shelby, he's just running this small thing in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. He's just running his shop, you know? Mm-hmm. And now Ford's like, here's, this is the blank check that you're talking about, where he's like, here's all this money. You got fourth place in this thing. Help us make this car. Yes. You're already help, You're already making stuff for us. So this is how now Ken Miles, who's just this random guy. The bystander. Who's helped him out. Mechanic racer. He becomes. Maybe done. <laughs> yeah. Competition manager and head engineer. And he takes the first test of their car, and he's like, "It's bloody awful." <laughs> I have to, I have to say, I, going into this, I wasn't, I was, I was, I was really expecting this to be more of a popcorn movie, and especially mm-hmm. from Matt Damon and Christian Bale, I was kind of expecting just kind of them to be kind of just whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just who they are, star power. I was really, really taken away with Christian Bale's Ken Miles. He is so mm. funny, and he's he has so many little characteristics and twerps just in just in his uh, his physicality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really beautiful. It's a really full performance, and I and I started to think about how beautiful it is that nobody really knows who this guy mm-hmm. is, and even in the story. I mean, I as a you know. I, I, as a race fan, I've known what the GT40 was for most of my, you know, conscious life, you know, yeah. that I've been into cars and any of that kind of stuff, but I've never heard the name Ken Miles before. So the fact that an actor of this stature showed up for this part and actually put in the work. And isn't playing Henry to, Ford or Fer- or Enzo yeah. Ferrari. He's playing in somebody nobody knows. Yeah. And, and somebody that I, that I ultimately think is really worth putting on the screen and what they say, what they use him to say about people and what mm-hmm. people matter, how people matter on a team when you're trying to get something done, just even in your own home. You know, you need you need you need the right people in the right places. Yeah. Uh, and how they feel about who they are, where they are, where they're going, and everything they have to offer has everything to do with the goal in mind. It's mm-hmm. all a synergy. And and they use this Ken Miles character to to wrap all of that up. Mm. Uh, and I just really was was really astounded by Christian Bale's character here because i was really just kind of expecting a little bit of nothing or at least yeah, just yeah. bail to be just bail i was like well maybe he'll just phone it in and it'll be interesting i don't think it's that at all he really it's yeah it's, it's quite a bit of a painting a- an original cast for this was supposed to be tom cruise and brad pitt not christian bale huh. and matt damon and that would be a very different movie very different movie um, who was supposed to play who there, you think? Did I think Tom Cruise was the driver. Yeah, he's going to play the driver. He would want to have actually competed in yeah. Le Mans or something. Yeah, he would have demanded that he that he be in the race sequences. God. Well, actually, so there is a – and this was just bizarre to me. There is a movie that came out in 1971 called Le Mans. Steve McQueen, who is kind of like the Tom Cruise of the time, was mm-hmm. in this movie and responsible for it. And he was like, he's already a professional race car driver. He won a race, not like a qualifier, but like a similar like 12 hour, mm. yeah. you know, one of these kind of races in 70. And he was trying to actually be in the Le Mans oh. race with his car, but the film company would not back him. They were like, you either are going to shoot the movie this year and be involved in everything else or be in the race and we're not going to make the movie. But like you can't – Oh, how meta. Do both. <laughs> but <laughs> – How weird. 
what weird duality he's but, living in. Yeah, <laughs> they got <laughs> they in a in a bizarre thing. They got the photography car qualified in the what? race. <laughs> So they filmed. That's what I mean. So there we go. It keeps so, unfolding. They filmed the entire 1970 Le Mans from a photography car that finished ninth place. <laughs> <laughs> and they used all that footage and then combined it with footage of him being an actor doing actorly stuff and competing in other things. I love a, a non player placed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't mind me. But it wasn't in like a particular division. So technically it wasn't in the actual thing. But in terms of doing the actual That's laps banana. and completing yeah, yeah. it, it, went, it got ninth place. That's hilarious. Um, but that movie That's exists beautiful. and it's called Le Mans. If you actually want an, an entirely fictional story, they were like, they had everything. They had the drivers. They had the real world thing. They just didn't have a script. Oh, so it, wow. it totally bombed. There is a documentary that came out in 2015 about the making of this whole thing oh. that happened in 71. What's but yeah, that called? The movie is called Le Mans, and then I think the documentary is Steve Steve McQueen, the man behind Le Mans or something. like. But I'll put links to it. There's also a really notor- uh, – uh, oh, there's an actor. I, I, I'm, his name is escaping me now, but he directed a, not- a notable documentary on the 66 Le Mans called mm. The 24-Hour War. That's red- I think that is readily available. I haven't seen it, but it looks like one, of, one that we should definitely mention to, <laughs> to our audience. Yeah. So now that they're – we talked about all of these people coming into play and Ken Miles being involved in this, Shelby being involved in this. I was unaware of how this is the golden age of racing, a complete facet of sports history and performance that I know nothing about. 50 million Americans saw races in 1964. That's not on television. That's going to events. Oh, my gosh. That is double oh my pro gosh. baseball games. Oh, my gosh. I would have never imagined that the, yeah. those kinds of numbers. Double pro baseball games, the amount of people that showed up live to racing events in the U.S. Oh, my God. So this is huge. There were four motion pictures in the works in this year about racing and professional race car drivers. Wow. It's massive. Huge. It's massive. I still don't believe you. Liar. (laughs) It's the truth. Some rumors, some lies and truth that were going on at this time. The deuce has a separation with his wife that he's had for 20 plus years because he was having a secret dalliance with an Italian woman. A scandal. When he was going over to visit Europe. They conveniently glaze over that in Ford versus Ferrari. (laughs) No mention of that in the biopic. Yeah. And there was a quote where he was saying, like, she would say, Henry, look at that Mustang. And he said, this is a Chevrolet. I've told you 10 times. Oh, my gosh. Like, she was completely out of touch with anything to do with... Well, at least Cars. we know it was infuriating for him. <laughs> right. He never had fun with it. <laughs> Shut up. Miles and this other guy, Ruby, who he gets paired up with as opposed to McLaren, because now McLaren is driving. He's the main guy on his own. Mm-hmm. He goes up on, on his what? Going his own way. <laughs> they they uh, Ford wins spots one through five in the Daytona Continental of this year. So this is proving that they can do things. The deuce arrives at the Shelby facility with the board of directors. (laughs) Now they're conquering NASCAR. They're conquering Indianapolis. This is true. Ken Miles took uh, Henry Ford II on a joyride (gasps) of a Cobra, though it wasn't – in the trailer, you'll see if you click on it in the show notes, they kind of use it as Henry Ford being like, you have to make this. I don't believe in it. And then they show him how crazy it is. Well, it's, it, that's fascinating. That So in the movie, they use it. It's Carol Shelby who gives mm-hmm. uh, uh, the deuce a ride in the GT40 to show them what it is they've really been working on. And it actually is quite an effective scene. It's, it's, it's really... Super comedic, but then it rounds out the back end. It goes on for just long enough where you're just, he's like crying by the end of the experience in the car. Then it rounds out to he, where he really comes to a place of like, I wish my daddy could have seen this. Yeah. Like, I wish he could have felt this. This like this is this is so unimaginable and uncomparable to anything mm-hmm. that he would have ever even dreamed of. I wish that he could be here. And so it it was actually a beautiful scene coming like getting him to to really appreciate mm-hmm. just what. His family, not only what his family has been working on for this long, but what the, particularly these group of guys and his effort now, what he is doing now, mm-hmm. and how important that is in, in, in human history, in the context of what yeah. they're doing right then. They, they use that to kind of have him 
come to this uh, uh, realization all through just going on a what I, is a roller coaster <laughs> of a ride. Um, but it's it, I would have never really guessed that it happened in real life. And that's fascinating that Ken Miles actually gave him a ride. Yeah, but it um, wasn't used I'm for sure, the malicious yeah. intent. It was yeah, just like, yeah, hey. Of course. Uh, yeah. but that, and I think that's fascinating, the filmmakers using like different mm-hmm. pieces of stories. Well, we won't have him do that, but we can use him and put that in there. And it's still kind of true. And that helps get us from A yeah. to B. Uh, that's really that interesting. That's... And also tying into kind of pilots and, and on the other side of the ocean, Ferrari is doing his test runs with his because they're also updating their cars every year trying to beat out. Now they know Ford is coming back with a vengeance with a new team who's designing the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, his car crashed and the driver died. Oh, so you remember God. how Phil Hill was working on it and it just like skidded yeah. out or whatever. The guy died. So again, Ferrari, the arbiter of death, God. things are not going well over there. Now we have but that in the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we now we have the Le Mans in 65. So the next year, this is the second year Ford is trying. This is the first live European sporting event in American history because they're able to televise it via satellite. I gotta know. Did Ken Miles race this race? He did. He did race this race. Yeah, yeah. It's a massive incongruency in the film. Uh, I will say that they make it a point of a huge point of dr- of drama that he last minute is not allowed by the Ford Motor Company to go to the '65 Le Mans and they stay home. Yeah, that that's Very just for dramatic effect. Me. Yeah, it's interesting though that uh, it's it's Miles and McLaren now. Mm, They're the team. Really? Yeah, um, McLaren back in the game. <laughs> back in the game. <laughs> Phil Hill. Starts out doing some commentary because in a in a strange turn of events, his partner is the guy starting it out. Oh. And then Phil Hill's going to take the second shift at midnight. Oh, interesting. Um, And just, again, to get a sense of the madness of this race, these cars burn. F- they go five to six miles to the gallon. So they're taking over a gallon of gas per lap. Since this guzzlers. Is guzzlers. Uh, for real yeah. guzzlers, y'all. Unfortunately, since this is Shelby's first take, this is the Mark II of the GT40, all of them are out of the race before sunset. Before sunset. That is a, that the is race a starts sweeping disaster. Phil, <laughs> hold, all yeah. Phil holds on, but then he's out by 11 p.m. Ah! <laughs> there is an American who wins, but he's in a Ferrari, which is uh, horrible. Uh, there's a Cobra that takes eighth place, but the distance- Followed by that photography car. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Don't mind me. Just me a movie. People who like, why, they, they built their whole life on yeah, there. You yeah. know, somebody's been, been, their whole life to get to Le Mans, they out in the first hour, this photography car places nine. Yeah. But the Cobra, just again for some context, they lost the amount of distance in mileage it takes to get from New York to Pittsburgh. To the Ferrari. So they're horrible. Oh. The Deuce calls everybody in oh. after this race, says this is it. He sends a card to all the executives, not just the special team working on this, but everybody in Ford that's at the top. Yeah. It's just got the logo for Le Mans. It says, you'd better win and Henry Ford the second. Wow. Meaning, if our transmission fails, whoever's in charge of transmissions is fired. If the tires, whoever sourced them from Goodyear, if they go bad, you're fired. Oh my god! You know what I mean? Ruthless. So the whole outlet is is inspired to On do edge. it. This guy who we mentioned switched with Phil Hill for Ferrari, Surtees, the British motorcycle driver. Oh, yeah. He gets in a horrible accident because a wheel flings out. Of a Ferrari, no. so now that's their like that's the guy that Ferrari is betting on for to cover his main team. So it's like, will he get read yeah. well in time for the '66 one? The Deuce, in it's a, a in horror a, show. Yeah, the Deuce, it's du- a horror show. Yeah. <laughs> Over just, there, we can't reiterate, reiterate that enough. What these people do, what these people did, was horrific. Anyway, continue. Yeah, Ferrari is able to coax Surtees back. They're in negotiations with Fiat now. So again, the timeline is extended for that deal. And this is scandalous. A young guy named Piero Lardi, who starts taking the reins of Ferrari. Um, He's starting a project called the Dino, which is named after Ferrari's dead son. Although this guy, Piero, looks a lot like Ferrari. And they're like, why is he now suddenly being involved more that he's coming of age and like, why is he getting all this responsibility? And it turns out Ferrari had another son oh. illegitimately with this other lady oh. in Italy. So this is his legit. This is his son. 
that he that nobody knew about that he had been hiding for years and years and years now and is now into the game taking over wow the company that is crazy <laughs> had no concept of that yeah uh this guy is still i guess as of this book was written in 2009 the head of ferrari wow he changed his last name too to ferrari well thank god yeah because that's might as well get the continuity straight yeah yeah <laughs> Let's so, just call apples apples here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's the head. So that's the scandal that's going on on the other side. Now we're moving into 66. This is the final showdown. This is the, the main event. Here we go. There's a few more deaths in the record books across these preliminary races. In the US, Ford is getting guff. There's way more regulation in terms of safety. Seatbelts, airbags are coming in. People are questioning deaths just Do on highways in the US you know so it's like this is not looking good as far as racing is concerned mm-hmm. um there's infighting between ferrari drivers between oh. you know this guy Surtees and who is going to be the top person who's going to be paired together miles wins daytona and sebring which are the two big races that happen in the US the road in this racing, circuit yeah. yeah so he wins those using a ford blasting through on them gt40s mm-hmm. Now it becomes June. And the um, Le Mans, so you mentioned the, the Sebring, uh, Sebring and Daytona. Daytona is another 24-hour mm-hmm. race. If he were to win Le Mans in the same year, that is referred to as the Triple Crown. This is, this is like, uh, you know, You'd Seabiscuit win, winning, yeah. uh, you know, winning it all. And it's good uh, and to it's set never that been up. done before. Yeah, never been done before. Ford had lost, not dead, but a bunch of people got injured due to crashes in racing in this time frame, including Ruby, Miles' teammate. So there's some other person that gets involved with Miles in this. They called on, they're like, we need some people. They call on this hot young driver in the U.S. who had declined Ferrari, had just gotten citizenship to be a U.S. citizen. And this is this guy, Mario Andretti, who is now one of the greatest Formula One racers of all time. Never heard of him. (laughs) No, that's I was just that's, fascinated. That's incredible. Because as somebody who doesn't know racing at all, I'm just hearing all you, of yeah. these names coming in and it's like, oh, everybody's involved. Everybody's here. In all this stuff. The gang's <laughs> all here. This guy Surtees gets duped into because they're like, oh, we're gonna pair you with this guy. And it turns out it's the head of Fiat's nephew, and they're like, he's oh, gonna start. No. And so Sartes is like, this is so insane. Uh, he just quits. So he's not racing this race. The main guy. What for drama? It. Shelby sends what him drama? a me- Shelby sends him a message the, the night before and is like, "You want to join Ford?" Oh, no, no, no. But he's already on his way. Do- he's gone. He just like yo. That would have been crazy though. <laughs> Think about it. If he did one second, whoa, and is gone. This is this is again the scope. Three hundred and fifty thousand people showed up. Wow. For this race in the grandstands and out w- wandering amazing. around and partying all night and the carnivals and the revelry and everything associated with this event. This twenty-four hour event. So many people. You go now; it's all corporatized. It's massive. But yeah. <laughs> imagine it then: three hundred thousand people showing up, just like free. Yeah. <laughs> just loose. Yeah, twenty-four just hours loose. <laughs> camping. It's like Coachella. It's like people are setting up tents. Oh, that's cool. It's a twenty-four hour thing. So now it's the start of this race. At the start, it's interesting that this happened later on, and this is why they don't do the running up thing anymore. But in this race, and this mm-hmm. happens in the movie, Miles bent the door. From running up, he slammed it on his helmet. Oh, and is so, that what it was? Yeah. Okay. And so it wasn't a fault with the machinery. It was like in the confusion gotcha. and the craziness, he hit it with his head going in so quickly and it bent and it wouldn't close. Gotcha. And so he had to pit after the first lap. Um, devastating. Devastating. Not really, I mean, you know, like it's 24 hours and everybody, you know, when that first yeah. four hours, everybody <laughs> is busy wrecking. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's still, they don't detail it quite like that in the film. It's kind of just inexplicably, it won't close and he right. does, and he still pits and everything and they just slam it shut, but they don't say exactly why or how, but it's interesting that it, that it mm-hmm. bent on his helmet. That's yeah. kind of, that's kind yeah. of interesting, but yeah, they, so don't, they don't make that a point. Within the first few hours of this race, pouring rain. Pouring, pouring, devastating. Everybody flooding, you know, screaming out of the grandstands, trying to find cover. Uh, <laughs> 300,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> miles, though, is moving faster than everybody else, passing people at 70 miles an hour over. Because people man. are going, I mean, he's not slowing down, just going insane, catching up. Andretti blows a gasket at 97 laps in. Dang. So he's out for nah. the American team. Phil Hill's headlights stop working what? in the middle of the night. 
So he's done. Oh, that's horrible. They that can't would fix be it. so frustrating if you had a fully functional race car, but you just couldn't see. Yeah. That would be infuriating. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's just, they tr- tr- but everything that is has the to be 24 so hours. That's the precise. essence of the 24 hours. Yeah. That's, that, that's exactly the same thing as the guy having to run across to his car. You know, yeah. it's, it's the weirdness of his <laughs> Every all. little that's moment. part of the test. Yeah. The main guy in, in, in Ferrari that kind of duped the other guy into leaving, he crashed into two banged up cars that were just sitting on the track. Because they couldn't move him in time, oh, and it yeah. was dark, and he was just doing his thing. And then there's just two wrecks, uh, and so he just smashes into it, just in the dark, and he's done. God. So now Ford has the top three spots, one of which is Miles. But again, they're like no interteam racing. Ford's like, what should we do? Because we're definitely gonna. It's a bizarre thing in this sport because the last hour or so is just like we're gonna just maintain. So it's kind of like running out the clock in NFL where it's like, well, we're just going to go the bare speed we need to go because we don't want a tire to fall off. We don't want anything crazy to happen. Just running a pace. Yeah. We are already ahead by 25 miles. Like, we're just going to make it happen. So they have this amazing idea that they're like, oh, well, we're going to arrange a tie. So all three of our cars that are at the front are going to... Uh, Pass at the are going to go a, across the finish line at the same time, though McLaren and his double squad is down by a lap. So they wait for him to catch up, though Miles is competitive. And like you said, if he wins this, he would win the triple crown. Never been done. But they would, they're like, can they arrange a tie? They ask the, the runners of the, uh, of the Le Mans and they're like, yes, it's never been done before, but we're going to do it as a big PR stunt, blah, blah, blah. They lied. They lied. Well, they didn't lie. They didn't know. So what happened was, like we said, when they start out running, it's like you get positioned where your car is based on how you qualified. And so McLaren was technically further ahead where his car was positioned at the start of the race. So in order for them to finish all at the same time, he would have had to have finished behind by 20 feet. But (laughs) since all of their cars went through the finish line at the same time, he actually won. It's it's weird. They they're just think about this as not necessarily as a as a lap equals done. Think about it as total distance over time. So it ended up as that they let him catch up onto the lead lap, but the because he distance started ahead. is what matters. It's not that he's on the lead lap and they finish the lap at the same time. Yeah. It is the literal distance that they started for the entire time. So he's he's positioned and starts the race only a you know a few hundred a few yards feet back. back. Yeah, yeah a few, twenty feet. 20 feet back from Ken Miles. And so that means he would have had to have finished the race 20 feet back from Ken Miles for that tie to have worked. It's such a ridiculous call. Right. But it wouldn't then have been a tie because they would have crossed the finish line first as the timer went off at, at four o'clock or whatever. You know, it's, it's like bananas. The it's whole so thing impossible. It's just scuttled all to, all to hell. And Miles feels like he got cheated, but he's not vindictive or angry or he's just like, they've done a lot for me. It sucks. I would have liked to have won this thing. Well, um, they do it great. They do it so well in the movie, and mm-hmm. and and they've they kind of build it up with Ken Miles as is this guy with such great potential that gets overlooked by people with power, and he keeps just kind of getting the raw end of the deal. And the justification for it is, and the and the Ford people say that he's all about himself. That's kind of where he has to come to by the end of the film is he has to make a little bit of that compromise. He has to make this photo finish happen for Ford because at the end of the day, this is about Ford selling more. The, yeah, the, yeah. the car he's driving was designed and developed to do this. So he has that moment of like, what's happened? What? And you, and you, and it's that moment of, it could go either way of balancing. Is he going to be mad? Is he going to be angry? And Carol Shelby comes up to him right at the last moment. He's yeah. like, they, you know, they, it's a technicality. I should have never even told you to do it. I should have just shut my mouth. And Ken looks at him, beautifully and says you promised me the drive not the win Mm -hmm. and i thought that was really really beautiful and then immediately without a beat that he goes into he has an idea for the car he wants to put a lighter frame they want to use a different metal next year here we go yeah Yeah. Yeah, they go right into it again he's like well you know and he just it seems as if it just brushes right off his shoulder which is just a beautiful thing to see Mm -hmm. for the character who gets so caught in these little battles that he just does not want to lose but ends up getting screwed time and time again it was so beautiful to see him by the end of the film having just gotten over it and he knows he did it everybody (laughs) there 
we now, years and years later, the film now made for it. Everybody knows he did it. Yeah, doing he the right it. thing is always the right thing. And exactly, he's a good exactly. guy. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and that's where the film leaves it. And it's, I just, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great message. Mm-hmm. It's really, really beautiful. The end of the movie, also based on real life. Should we get into? I feel like it's important. Yes, that, I, th- I, th- I think so. And I, I, and I think I was shocked. Um, mm-hmm. I assumed, having known just a little bit about the event, I definitely assumed that the the film would end at Le Mans. <laughs> you know the you know just having done it, they Ford accomplished it, but the personal you know compromises that are just you know yeah. I assumed card they went on to do this <laughs> you know, the next month. Yeah. I assumed that would be how this ended. It's not. They yeah. took it a step further, and so and it yeah. took it took the whole movie for me to realize. Oh, it needed to go this extra step. We're mm. about to reveal exactly yeah. what this is, but I don't think the movie works unless they actually have this. I think movie. it is a complete story in that way. Two months later, like you said, he's just like, "What are we going to do next?" So he's testing stuff out in the Cali Desert, working with Shelby. Still, they're they're working on the next thing, the next Le Mans, testing a new Ford car. It's on the last lap of the last run of this day. It veers sharply off. Car explodes. He's just dead immediately. His son is, you know, a teenager at the time waiting in the parking lot for him, sees the explosion. There's all these pointing fingers as whether it was mechanical or whether it was the driver because they're unable to determine the wreckage was so complete how anything happened. But it seems like he wouldn't be the one to... I had heard that Ford tried to place a lot of the blame on on, on op- operation, yeah, and and that the racing community absolutely rebuked that at all at all impasses. That that's just not who Ken was, mm-hmm. and, and that and it's it's so interesting that may he might not have like gotten the title achievements and you know all and be yeah. recognized specifically, but when it came push came to shove, when he was gone and and people wanted to p- continue to give mm-hmm. him the short end. That his community, that maybe never quite stuck up for him while he was around, did stick up for him in this way and rebuke that notion at all fronts. And because of this, they looked into it and amended the roll cages and various structures of the car. And it is thought that this saved Mario Andretti's life the year later. Really? When a similar accident happened and he it, it the the same problem that potentially would have occurred, oh, he was able to get out it would have been a deadly crash for him. And now look at his career, because it's kind of like a, a legacy passing on. Absolutely. But the triple crown, which he technically could have potentially won historically, has never been achieved even to this day, winning three of the winning those three races in the same year. So ne- the next year Ford wins, and Ferrari never won the 24-hour Le Mans again, mm-hmm. as of the writing of the book, yeah. Wow. Uh, they never won again? No. I, wow. Okay, so I knew that Ford won, and then they kept winning, and they won through 69. No. But I, it was my assumption that at somewhere, for you know, Ferrari would be back in the game and win again somewhere no. in the 80s, 70s, you know, something like that. That's That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean that that shows the the impact of of the story and why this particular moment was so momentous. I mean, it really did. Mm-hmm. If for if Ferrari never really recovers, yeah, they did it. No, that's it. Yeah, the next race in '67, there's this guy Gurney who was one of the racers. He drenches Henry Ford in champagne when he pops the thing, and then that becomes a tradition, oh. if you've seen that in at the end of racing. In any they, racing, yeah. <laughs> in, in any racing at all, mm-hmm. then if you that's see this champagne, year. that's what that that's is. That's where it started. In 67? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Phil, I had no yeah. idea. Phil Hill retires in 67. Oh. He's done. He's the only American to become a Formula One world champ, except for Andretti, mm. who continued on. And I found in an interesting turn of events with this movie, so the t- the two main stuntmen who actually did the stunt racing in this movie Ford versus Ferrari, their names are Derek Hill and Alex Gurney, and this is Phil Hill's son oh and God. this guy Gurney. They're both of their dads won at Le Mans oh at God. some point, and now they're both stunt drivers, and they both are in this movie. And Alex Gurney plays his dad. Oh my gosh. In the film. How perfect. Who died the year before, who died last year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> How incredible. 
Oh, I mean, I can imagine, you know, well, when it comes down to the details of like, well, who is going to pilot the machines that we're going to photograph in a manner that is convincing of mm-hmm. 1960s uh, sports car racing? Why not get the kids? <laughs> How incredible. I There's mean, so that would just bring it all. That would feel so, I mean, it I'm so happy to know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in lifeblood right there in the in the racing, the photography, what they captured in front of the lens is directly related and I mean related mm-hmm. to the real racing that they are yeah. that they're actually talking about. That's incredible. There's so much in this story about fathers and sons as well, yeah. and I just thought that that was wild. The the author of this just at the very end of Go Like Hell the book, he's able to interview Shelby in his old age before he dies who Shelby went to work for Chrysler and Dodge, which also Iacocca did in 78. They had a bitter huh? fallout, and he took over Chrysler in a massive comeback, oh. revered as one of the craziest company reversals in history, probably even better than what Henry Ford II did Iacocca? with Ford. Yeah. Wow. He, he became the guy that ran Chrysler. Shelby then worked for him for Dodge, hmm. and this guy, the, the author – interviewed Shelby about it they didn't really talk about Ken Miles that much but he brought it up on his own and he was like you know I really want to just like go back to Texas start an auto school name a scholarship yeah. in Ken's honor uh, he said I don't want him to be forgotten yeah well I don't think that's possible now I think yeah. the, the film is is quite astounding and I think people are, le- are learning the name Ken Miles who would not um, mm-hmm. And that's going to keep this alive. I mean, I, I'm so happy that that I'm aware of this guy having lived and accomplished what he accomplished. Now I really had no concept of him at all. Yeah. Um, but I've just never, you know, I've I've been around his creations and his influence and all of that kind of stuff, and I would have just never known who he was. Yeah. Um, so and I but just, hopefully, if you're listening to this now, you have some knowledge of racing and what. Yeah, it's a what fun the time. Pamon is. Well, we hope you guys liked it. I, I, yeah. ju- I certainly did. I think everybody hears the hears that I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, Let us know. Yeah. If you knew anything about this, if you learned something interesting, if you want to check out any more movies or media that you know are similarly based off of this, picture card number nine. Yeah. Hit us up at AlliteratePod. That's our uh, that's our Instagram. Yeah. If you're into anything right now, let us know what you're in taking. We want to know. And we will see you next week. All right.